Hello, everyone, and welcome to our fireside chat. Today, as you all know, we will be discussing mobility and identity. Uh, I thought that this was a really great topic for us to discuss today because even though we are all an extremely united community, um, we are all very unique. We come from different places, we speak different languages, uh, and we all believe in different things. But here we are um, all together. And our blindness and low vision plays a different role in all of our lives. Um, and we're here today to talk about that. I would like to start off with introducing our panelists. First, we have Louise Gillis, National President at the Canadian Council of the Blind. Louise has been active with CCB for over 20 years. She lives with sight loss and is passionate about working to improve the quality of life for those living with vision loss and in the prevention of blindness through accessibility, education, and encouraging eye exams for all. Just to mention a few. Uh, next, we have Jim Tokus, Vice President at CCB. Um, Jim lost most of his vision over a period of about a year, uh, adapted to cane use, and was asked to volunteer to lead a group of persons who had just experienced vision loss. Um, Jim really believes in leading by example. Uh, I can definitely speak to this. He is an absolutely wonderful mentor um, and an awesome person to work with. Uh, he joined CCB in 1997 with his local Hamilton chapter. Currently, Jim is the vice president, um, as I mentioned, and also works with the World Blind Union. Um, I believe he's been involved with them since 2008 and he's passionate about travel. Next, we have Chanel Gregory. Chanel is a well-being worker at Balance for Blind Adults, and she hopes to advance her advocacy efforts for the blind and low vision community by furthering her education at York University, uh, where she is actually obtaining her bachelor's degree in social work. She believes that all abilities should be embraced in social spaces which is why she decided to join Canada Galaxy Pageants. Canada Galaxy Pageants is a pageant system that is inclusive to all girls and women, regardless of age, height, marital status, uh, and I believe motherhood as well. Um, next, we also have Sarah Patel. Um, I've also had the pleasure of working with Sarah Patel and meeting her through Fighting Blindness Canada. Uh, she is currently one of the 2021 co-chairs. She also did co-chair the program last year um, for 2020. She is really, really passionate about advocacy and mental health. Um, she is a trained counselor and she volunteers her time on a crisis hotline. She studied women and children um, counseling and currently works as an ECA. Um, she is not just involved with FBC, Fighting Blindness Canada. She also helps out with CNIB in a variety of roles. Uh, yeah, so I'm really excited to get to all of our panelists today. And we are going to start off with a warm welcome from Louise Gillis. So off to you, Louise. Welcome, everyone, this evening. It's uh, great to have this fireside chat. I hope you have your little fireplaces on at home. The CCB is that it was founded way back in 1944. Uh, 
with a group of about 10 people or so from the Toronto area, actually 10 gentlemen that really got going and some uh, uh, blind veterans and people from the schools of the blind from uh, local chapters across Canada had then really got moving with it. And that's how we all came into being. And the reason we all know is because people with the sight loss have a, a distinct and a unique perception and perspective before government so that they can be able to um, advocate and move things forward that, so that we as people living with sight loss have a much more uh, comfortable life. And that's what our motto or mandate is, is to improve the quality of lives for people living with sight loss and to in the prevention of blindness. So those are two of the things that we really strive for. Uh, sight loss, as everyone knows too, it has no boundaries with respect to gender, income, ethnicity, culture, or other disabilities or age, at any age. And in fact, today I was on a, another uh, APSI webinar and there was a, a parent of an 18 month old child who just got his first uh, white cane. So that was an experience for him, to, that the child to get started at that early age. So speaking of that, and this being white cane week, it's kind of a, an interesting topic that we had had at that time. So it uh, doesn't matter whether you're 18 months old or 100 years old, white canes are important. The white cane week soon started after the forming in, in 1944. And it was just to, to get people together across the country and to, to show our abilities, not our disabilities. And that's why it's important to, to get out. And we recognize it on this first full week of February uh, so that it's a special time of year for everybody. And yes, it is in the winter and it's not a good time to be going out and doing things. So this year with the COVID on, we are very fortunate to be able to do it virtually. And that's where our little fireside chat came in. So the important things too that we need to know uh, about white canes uh, is, uh, Jim I know is going to talk about it a bit more, but it's a symbol of independence. And it shows that we are, it helps us to get around and that uh, we are much more able to go to places that we may be unfamiliar to us so that we don't uh, fall on the sidewalks or just uh, letting people know that we do have a disability and we are making the best of life by getting out and moving around the community, traveling by plane, train, automobile, buses, whatever it might be, so that uh, we can get out and be part of the world. Many people with uh, sight loss are very active in many different community activities on different uh, committees, uh, accessibility committees in their own municipality or city. And, uh, you know, just even church groups or any other group that's there uh, work. And we're all able to get around and that the white cane helps us to get there. So it's a, a very good symbol and something that we really need to take to, to heart and use more frequently. 
um, the new role for the cane is it originated way back uh, in for us in Canada here after the World Wars, but were something that was uh, used way, way, way back in the ages in the 1200s years and 1300s that uh, just a stick to make their way around for somebody who was blind. But of course it was not called a white cane at that time. So anyway, there's uh, a lot of interesting facts that we can find and what people use and, uh, to get around and to make themselves independent along with guide dogs. That's uh, another method of independence and many people use the dogs as well. And they're a big help, but for somebody who can't have a dog or just has enough vision, then the cane is the, the place to go. So I think I will leave it there for my couple of minutes that I had and turn it over to next person, Jim, I think. Well, that's very kind of you, Louise. Thank you. And uh, that, was, uh, that was wonderful. Um, so my name is Jim Tokas. I, uh, I'm the vice president of the Canadian Council of the Blind. And I just wanted to, uh, to say to everybody, welcome, and uh, um, just kind of a, a, a lead uh, on what I've been picking up through meetings and, uh, and different things that chapters have been doing. And uh, I have been on some uh, Zoom calls already this week with uh, British Columbia and uh, uh, some of our local chapters in the Toronto area. And I'm amazed by how many people are talking about white canes and Braille. And that's two key things that, uh, that, that um, um, with work through the World Blind Union that we have learned that, uh, that as people living with vision loss are very, very important. Uh, so uh, even though I'm off the subject a bit, I'm going to talk a little bit about Braille. So Braille is the most communicated means of dialogue between uh, people with vision loss around the world. So Braille is, I always thought it was a language, but it's not, it's a tactile way of expressing to other people what you wanna say and, uh, and they can reply to you in the same manner. So, so Braille is, is, you know, you hear about all this technology and Braille is making a huge comeback. So that's wonderful. Um, I just happen to be learning Braille. So it's, uh, it's even nicer to, uh, um, to have a year and a half of it under my wings. But getting back to the white cane, um, so the white cane has the same use as, as Braille to many, many people around the world. Um, it's the international symbol of, of, um, of vision loss. Uh, so, you know, really it, the, 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 high, the, head, the leading point of that is to, that everybody understands what the white cane means. So people are coming in from other countries to live in Canada. Uh, they understand the color white. And as far as the color white, they understand that it's a white cane. And they also understand that, you know, the person has low vision. So I'm not going to use the word blind. I'm going to use the word low vision. Um, we can say blind or low vision. It, it really, uh, it, it's really a preference of the of, of those who who uh, who have the, the vision loss. Um, so the white cane. Um, 
the white cane comes in many different uh, varieties. It comes uh, as an ID cane where you can fold it up. Uh, it, it comes as a uh, um, uh, mobility cane where you use it to get around. Um, if, you do, if you have mobility problems or if you don't like using a skinny white cane, uh, then you've got a, got a cane you can lean on and it's still white, so it's important. And in most cases, the white also has a little bit of red at the bottom, uh, which even gives it a better distinction. Um, and is again, uh, you know, a symbol around the world that that um, uh, white canes are uh, identify people with vision loss. And I think for your own safety, it's very important that you let other people know that you have vision loss. So you should be using a white cane. I am not going to lecture anybody, promise me, but uh, I think it's important that, you know, for your own safety, as well as the safety of others, um, you know, you should be, you should be at least carrying a white cane with you. Um, and you can do that different ways. You can have, if you have a, a, um, uh, a cane that uh, is an ID cane, um, you can fold it up and put it in your backpack. You can fold it up, put it in your pocket. Um, and then if you get into trouble, you can always pull it out and somebody usually ask you if you would like assistance. I have a telescopic cane, which I use for traveling. Um, it's made out of carbon fiber, so I don't want to put too much weight on it. Um, but uh, there's another hint that you can use. And again, I could stick that in a backpack in my back pocket or in my duffel bag. So, um, um, so I, what I'm recommending is that you always have a way of getting yourself out of trouble. Um, never, never go out without your white cane. And even if you don't use it, at least have it on you. And, uh, you know, it's very important. Again, if you get into, you get yourself into a situation where there's a crowd of people or you want to cross the street, uh, which you didn't expect to have to do. Uh, and there's a lot of traffic that, you know, Get that white cane out and, uh, you know, if you need help, somebody will help you. And uh, at least let people know that you have a, you have a, a problem with, the, with your vision. It's very important. So let's get into our first questions. Um, so I will be asking a question and then I will sort of um, name off panelists and sort of go through you guys just so things can run um, smoothly. So first question. Um, let's start with the first time each of you used a cane um, and specify which one, if it was an ID cane, a mobility cane, um, whatever it was, uh, and why. So why, why that point in your life? Why that age? Um, yeah, so let's start with uh, Louise. Why don't you, you go ahead? Well, first time I started using white cane was when I really became a uh, head loss of vision. And that was in, well, I lost my vision in 96. And when I got connected with CNIB in, in uh, winter of 97, they gave me one originally. And I was a little reluctant at first because I thought I could see, still see enough. Uh, so I did have it, but I began using it right away, but not a, a whole lot. When I went to strange places and that sort of thing, and it was uh, a long cane that would fold up too. And because it is winter time, the red part on the bottom of it enabled me to know where I was with snow because you got a white cane 
and white snow. I live in Canada and especially in Eastern Canada here. Uh, the, the red part on it enabled me to, to know the depth of where I was. And that's what happens with depth perception. You can't see it. So anyway, I used it for that. And then when I became more comfortable with my sight loss, um, I didn't use it quite as much. So I did get an, an ID cane, the small fold-up one is of those as well. And that I, I use and have it with me mostly all the time. When I'm around home in my own uh, city, I'm fairly comfortable and may not use it as much, especially if I'm with somebody else, I'm okay. But I use it with when I'm traveling on the bus or any of those other mobility times that if climbing steps and whatever like that. But, and when I travel on the plane, which I have been doing a lot of up until this past winter, and uh, I always have it with me then and use it when I'm traveling and away in different provinces and cities and countries and whatever. And it's very good uh, because I feel that it gives me more confidence to be able to walk around, but it also lets people know that are not familiar with me that I do have sight loss and that's why uh, I think ID cane will work, but if you're in a strange area, you may have to rely on it more to find the, the crevices and the, the steps and the whatnots a bit easier. So uh, that's why I use the long cane when I'm traveling in areas like that. Let's go to Chanel next, if you're um, comfortable with that same question. Um, do you need me to rephrase it? I know sometimes in panels, it, it's hard to keep track of the question after people talk. <laughs> I think I got it. So basically the okay. question is when I first started using a cane. So um, for a long, first, I think it's important to preface that with blindness, there are spectrums. Um, and so initially I had a significant good chunk of my vision um, initially. So I didn't feel as if I required a cane until about maybe 15, I got an ID cane from my O&M instructor, an orientation and mobility instructor. And um, I still didn't quite know, you know, why would I need this? How do we use it? How is this, you know, relative to my life? And how could I incorporate an ID cane? So I had one, but I never really um, saw the need to using it. However, I had um, developed an nystagmus, which has affected my depth perception and how well I could really travel. So I start to find the need in maybe using it, especially when I start to travel on my own. Um, I felt, okay, maybe people need to know, like, I can't see as well, especially when you have those moments where you might bump into glasses and you're like, oh my goodness, these people don't have no idea why I'm bumping into these glasses, to these, um, you know, the windows and all these types of things, poles, um, bus poles and stuff of that sort. So I started to um, use an ID cane at around 18, 19 when I started to lose a little bit more vision. However, there was still this reluctancy with me wanting to use the ID cane. And I thought it was very important. Um, yeah, wonderful that Jim had mentioned that, you know, they are white and um, that's kind of that symbolism with the ID cane. Because initially I was still in a lot of fear and um, ambivalence to wanting to use the cane, even though I saw the need in wanting to use it. Um, 
I, I couldn't find myself, I couldn't get comfortable with the idea of using this cane. So I had my aunt decorate the cane for me. And so it didn't look like an ID cane, really. It had all this bling, it was really blinked out. I'm into fashion and all that stuff. So it was a way for me to kind of, instead of getting an own, like the proper orientation cane where you could like, feel around and get this you know get that feedback tactile feedback from the cane i would use my dk to say okay there's a stair and stuff like that because particularly it was that that was an impact you know being impacted um with the decrease of my vision um but that's how i initially started um using the cane and getting comfortable with the cane and it started out with an id cane i still haven't made that change quite yet to uh mobility white cane yet i am however adjusting to the white id cane and you know getting comfortable with that part of my identity even being comfortable with blindness as a whole however it takes time and it's a process that's actually awesome i love that because it, it's true like as you getting comfortable with a cane there is definitely like a you have to be comfortable with your blindness or your vision for whatever right. level it's at. That's so true. Right. And it's also like adds that visual element where people might have not have known I was blind because blindness can be quite an invisible disability. Um, and with these, the ID cane, it's kind of like screaming it out to everyone, which is not something to be ashamed of. I don't think now that um, being blind is something to be ashamed of. But before trying to adapt and adjust to the changes in my life, it was oh, I have this ID cane and now let's announce it to the world type thing. So it definitely is a process and just coming to terms with yourself and um, loving that aspect of myself. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, okay, so let's go to Sarah, um, if you're there. Uh, same question, when, you know, why and when did you start using um, a cane and, and what type, ID cane, mobility cane? Uh, go for it, it's all yours. Uh, the first time I was given a mobility cane was at the age of four since I was born um, with my eye condition. And um, the first step was to just get me um, used to using Braille, um, learning, sorry, I should say learning Braille and used to holding a white mobility cane in my hand. So um, that is my very first vivid memory of using this um, white cane and walking down the hallway and in the other hand holding a Perkins trailer. Um, from that point on I've always had a mobility cane um, given to me by my orientation and mobility um, specialist and using it when I kind of needed to. I didn't really use it outside of I guess school purposes or unless I was not doing anything relevant um, when it came to school or um, O&M. And then um, I was given a ID cane as well, I want to say in probably my middle school or maybe even high school because I was going through a phase of just kind of accepting my, um, my disability, um, wanting to fit in and not really walking around with this white cane or, you know, like stick as everyone calls it. No one really refers it to it as a white cane or a mobility cane so I'm like yes I'll take the ID cane it's a lot smaller it's foldable it's not as visible it's not that long I can you know kind of sneak it out and then sneak it back in when I need to 
um, realized very quickly that the ID cane is not going to serve me the purpose that I need. And if I want my independence, um, I don't have much night vision. And so for me to travel at nighttime with an ID cane was just not ideal. I tried it. I was more anxious. I felt more insecure. I felt more upset and more ang anger and resentment towards myself and the whole situation itself. So I went back to carrying the mobility cane. I would say the first time I actually used the mobility cane um, willingly on my own was probably around um, when I was 18 or 19. And that's when I was going to college. I was traveling by myself independently, realizing, okay, especially now in wintertime, days are getting shorter, it's getting dark outside there. I, in order for me to feel safe, confident, and be independent, I need to use um, my cane. And so that's when I took that first step in using it. it. There was a lot of mixed emotions that did go through my head that day. Um, and on the days to, to come, but I think being able to share that accomplishment and that step with my support system, with um, people that were involved in my cane journey was very important because it's something that you can go and be like, I use my cane today for the first time traveling by myself in the dark, but I didn't like it, you know, and just sharing your emotions on that and acknowledging it is, I found was really important and helpful, especially even with my friends, because um, I have uh, friends that are, were using their cane before I even did and kind of even watching them go through their journey kind of helped me come to grips um, with even just using my cane and kind of encouraging. So I think when you see um, people around you using it, it kind of helps you get to that acceptance phase and, and being okay to be part of your self-identity. I do carry my cane with me at all times, wherever I go. It's not always visible. Like, you know, we said it could be very, it could be a very invisible disability, but I have, I know myself well enough when I need to use my cane and when I feel that I don't need to use my cane. So it's always with me, especially at nighttime, I will definitely pop it out and use it. And I'm like, I don't care. Um, but other than that, if I'm put into on different situations or um, unfamiliar environments, that's also when I will take it out and use it. And I think it's also having that conversation with yourself is very important in part of your, your self growth and um identity is acknowledging okay if you do have some sight when you need to take out your cane and using it versus when you feel confident enough of using it without that's so true knowing yourself is definitely a very very key aspect of that um okay so let's go on to jim uh jim same question when did you start using a cane what kind um, all of that, all yours. Well, first of all, I'd just like to, to commend everybody's uh, um, sharing their, uh, their stories because it's, uh, it's alarming to hear that, uh, um, you, know, um, you know, people are getting comfortable with it. And, you know, once you get comfortable with yourself, then you got to get comfortable with something else. And, uh, um, and I know it's a very difficult progression, but uh, Keep up the great work. And uh, so with myself, I, uh, I, I went 
through a, a rehab program with CNIB like everybody else did. Um, and then um, uh, shortly after that, about uh, two months after that, I was asked to teach a uh, um, um, uh, New Dreams, New Horizons course, it was called then at CNIB. So it was an eight-week course and everybody came once a month and got together and um, so they asked me to lead it. So um, with me being sort of halfway, you know, do I need a cane or do I not need a cane? Um, probably the day that I walked into a pool and then apologized was the day that I realized I needed a cane. So uh, I said to myself, well, that's it. So uh, very quickly, I picked up a cane and I had a mobility cane, started using it. And I was able to teach this class, and I don't know if every, anybody thought I was nuts, but uh, um, uh, I think the main thing is, is you got the point across that, you know, you should be IDing yourself in some way, um, and it's, uh, it's very important. Now, um, as far as comfort, I, I'm, I always have it with me. Uh, I'm always using it um, when I'm outside. Um, I use a, uh, um, uh, uh, it's a more of a, when I'm traveling, I, I use a, a fold-up cane or I use a, a telescopic cane. Uh, it's just that it's a lot easier, but, you know, the cane is always out in full when I'm walking. Um, and uh, I do, like Louise, I, I, I travel a lot on trains and uh, uh, buses and uh, planes and so I think it's very important that um, uh, wherever you go, uh, that that people, again, I and I'll go with the color white. It's it's very important because once you cross over to Europe and places like that, that's what exactly what they've been educated on is you know the the meaning of the white cane. So um, so you know I was I was pushed into action and uh, you know responded and. Uh, and have done so accordingly. And ever since then, I've been using a white cane. That's perfect. Um, and that's so true, like, especially when you're traveling. Um, I, I sometimes get a little risky. I have a, a blue cane. And so if I'm feeling a bit funky, like I use it around here, but I, I don't travel with it. I, I keep that for the white cane because everybody knows it, especially once you go over to Europe or other continents. It's, it's a good thing to have. Um, so that takes us into our next question. This is probably my favorite question that I'm going to get to ask. And I know you guys have some really awesome answers for it. Um, and it's how do you feel the different parts of your identity or who you are that can be culture, religion, it can be like work you do in the community, sports, um, different activities that you engage in, any part of who you guys are, um, how does that play into how others treat you when you do or do not use a cane? Um, so yeah, I, both are great. You guys can focus on one if you want um, more than the other. Like if you want to focus on how some parts of you play into when you don't use a cane, sort of what people think, or if you do use a cane, you know, what, what are things people say? Um, let's see who did I think I started with Louise last time. So um Sarah, why don't we start with you first this time? Okay, sure. Um, this is a really interesting question. Um, 
so I'll say I've had the opportunity to kind of be on both sides of the coin. Um, like I said, because I do carry my white cane with me and I use it when I need to um, and when I don't. So I will give an example of when I'm traveling independently, whether it's on public transit or um, you know, um, tra um, taking trains or flying or anything like that, when I don't have my cane, I am treated, I would say equally or fairly just as anybody else that's on that bus, especially during rush hour and you're on your way home. So, you know, it's really hard to find a seat. So you're standing um, in the bus with everyone else around you. Um, but whenever I have taken my white cane out or if I've been traveling at nighttime, so I have my white cane, it's an instant changed um people are offering me seats or telling me you know it, it will be safer for me to sit down even if I um you know say no I'm good standing up um people's interaction um or socialization will change um when that white cane is front and center so I, and it's very, I think it's for me, since I kind of have the opportunity of being on both sides and it, me having the white cane makes me very uncomfortable because um, as we know, you know, I, people are always trying to help the best that they know how, but it doesn't always come across as helping. It comes across more as making us feel more unsafe or just not, um, what we need at that time in, in terms of assistance. Um, also, when it comes to just um, walking with the white cane or going into social events or even networking events, um, it, it comes off across, um, people will recognize, or my experience is that being recognized the white cane first, then you as a person. So your, if your disability is being acknowledged before you as a person. And I feel like um, for me, I would say my disability is a very small portion of my self-identity. Um, it's took me a long time to come to this point, but I feel like my disability is a portion of my self-identity. It's not a whole portion, but it's a very small portion. And, um, it, and when I don't have um, the white cane and I'm in a networking or socialization setting, it's a bit different because people are interacting, you're having conversations, people are acknowledging you, you're being addressed at. Um, uh, and and people, I would just say deneem, uh, demeanors and things like that is just a lot different even when it comes to body language and things like that because they're acknowledging and speaking to you as a person. Um, with a identity and, and you know, um, sharing similar experiences and you can just have a normalcy conversation versus there's been times when you have the white cane or if when you um, are, uh, or with a white cane, you know, it's more about focused on your disability. Not to say that I don't, even if I don't have my white cane, if it comes up in conversations, I will acknowledge that yes I do have a disability I am partially sighted I think it's really important I don't I don't think you know especially for myself it's not something to to really hide I think I'm past that um past that stage and I think that comes with you know um yourself 
identity. And I think it's also just coming from the background as well, um, from from a Muslim background, when when you are um, walking with a white cane, um, there's just not much awareness or education around that. So that is where I feel like, you know, um, someone like me needs to kind of do that education and promotion um, piece. So I think I'll leave it there for now because I could definitely say more. <laughs> Louise, do you want to tackle this one next? Sure. Well, um, yes, I, I am treated differently when I carry a cane to when I'm not carrying a cane, that's for sure, my white cane, because people see me and they, they look at me and then they may see me today with no cane because I'm right around home. But when I go into a, a meeting place, you know, like even at home, and it's a group of people that I'm not familiar with, I carry a cane, then they say, well, why do you carry that? You don't look blind. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the, the things that's often said. And I'll say, well, I wish you were on the other side of my eyes and then you would see why I carry the cane. And you no, know, they just kind of are a little bit stunned by that. But as far as treating me differently, um, well, just like uh, Sarah mentioned, if you go to get on the bus, then quite frequently, many people will get, a, or several people will get up to offer you their seat. But if I go on the bus without a cane, uh, they don't always do that. So it's little things like that that you might find. Um, they, uh, now that people are familiar with seeing me with the cane or wherever I go, and I guess because of my role, when somebody walks in as uh, president of an organization, of a blind organization, then they're going to think in most cases that that person has sight loss. But even at uh, many of the meetings I do attend, because I still, when I'm doing some reading or doing just like when I, right now, I have glasses on to help me read large print, then they think that uh, I'm not uh, no, living with vision loss in any way. So it's just, you know, they're, I think, surprised. And in some cases, many people in some areas and different cultures. And when I've traveled to other cultures, they say, just can't get over the fact that somebody who has sight loss and is older, which I am, and able to travel across the the world, basically, they say, well, it's just uh, amazing that somebody with sight loss can, can do that. But yet you are doing it well. Well, each one of us here is doing it well. Once you get used to using your cane and, and using it to make your mobility better, then we're all the same. We're all equal on that. So it's just um, a little bit of a uh, education as we need to to do, and that's all the purpose of uh, White Cane Week is to get that word out there that just because we're carrying or not carrying a white cane doesn't mean that we don't have sight loss, but we are coping with it and we're making the best of our lives with it. So. You know, treat us all the same as whether we have sight loss or not. I'm the same person that I was before you knew that I had sight loss than I am now that you know it. So, oftentimes I've often heard people uh, made a comment if you don't have a a cane or something like that and they see you walking around, they feel that 
when they realize that you are blind or have low vision, that you may also have intellectual disability or not being able to understand things or that you're deaf and they start hollering at you? Well, if I, if I have my cane, um, when they start picking teams, I'm going to be the, the 18th one picked. So, um, but if I don't have my cane, I'll probably be the, in the first five. So um, <laughs> it definitely has, a, it definitely makes a difference. So, um, so I think, yeah, self-identification is important. And, uh, um, and, and it was, it's been so well put that, uh, um, that, you know, you should have that that cane out in front of you because that cane, um, it it does it does identify you as a person with vision loss, but that doesn't make you any less of a person. And I think once you get through that stigma, um, then everything falls into place a little easier. So um, I commend uh, I commend the younger people on this call because uh, or that have been uh, on the panel. Um, because, you know, you keep hearing that, uh, you know, I do carry it around because I might need it, or I do carry it around uh, because I, I feel a little bit more comfortable at night. And uh, um, that's, that's, that's some great, great progression um, uh, to hear, because there's, there's so many people that say it's not cool, uh, or, you know, what's a blind person supposed to look like? Well, <laughs> um, Still trying to figure that one out, um, as well as Sam's blue cane, which I'm trying to figure out as well. So, um, um, but uh, no, it's it's a tough challenge, and uh, um, you know um, to have to use your cane. Uh, but once you get used to it, uh, it just becomes a part of you, and that's the important thing: is uh, is you know accepting uh, your vision loss, accepting that you know. Uh, that you're, you're being fair to people, um, you know, um, and don't try and be the first guy picked in a, uh, when they're picking teams. It doesn't matter if you're last because you, you know, um, because you won't see the ball anyway when it comes to Yes, that's so true. And I think, unfortunately, what, what people struggle with, like the, what I think other people describe as, oh, people are embarrassed or ashamed to show that they're blind or use their cane. I think it's not that we're ashamed or embarrassed of being blind. It's that we're annoyed with how people treat us. And like Sarah said, like you see, some people can see both sides. You see how you're treated with and without it. And that can be a really frustrating thing to deal with. Mm -hmm. um, so next, I think Chanel, you haven't answered this one yet. I think it's important to let you guys all know that I am a black woman with a disability. So these are, um, being a black woman adds a different layer to my identity um, that helps me understand disability in a very unique way. Um, traditionally, um, I think there is these stereotypes and stigmas um, held towards black individuals. Um, one whereby we tend to think of black people as being very strong. And when you have these kind of concepts that you are having to try and proje project, I think that it makes it very difficult when you have to um, somehow merge these ideas of historically the stigma of people with disabilities being weak or needy or charity cases. So for me personally, it's been very hard internalizing 
um, both these ideas of society expecting me to be both these two things because I am a black woman, but I also happen to have a disability. I happen to have low vision. So how can I both be both of these two very different things? How can I be strong and yet weak and needy? Um, so it's been really difficult for me to kind of um, go through these motions and try to um, really figure out how, who do I say I am? You know, who do I think I am? How do I navigate Chanel? How do I be in this world as Chanel, the blind black woman, right? And um, yeah, I, I, it's in terms of using the cane, I think it's just been like, okay, well, you know, having to identify as um, being blind, I think that's always been, uh, it's been a tough battle for me in that regard, because obviously I can't speak on every black individual because some black people may in fact have it a lot easier, you know, with using the cane, but just from my household, it wasn't something that was really um, embraced. It wasn't really um, looked at as a means of independence. It, you know, it was looked as, you know, you're weak, you're, you know, it's not really something that was really looked at in a favorable way. So in hindsight, looking at things now, I wish that I had have learned a lot of blind skills a lot earlier. Um, I think I would have been in a lot better position in life right now if I had have learned a lot of these things. So um, in terms of the cane, you know, I, I think it's a phenomenal tool, but I think when you do have these two intersectional identities, I think it can make things a lot more difficult when you're trying to figure out what role you feel you should be playing. That was a really good one. So moving on to our third question. Um, what are some stigmas around blindness um, or low vision that make it difficult to use a cane, which I think we've already kind of touched on in a few of the other answers and stuff. Um, you know, the classic, you don't look blind, um, those kinds of things. Uh, but if there's any other ones that like come to mind for some of you guys, um, let me see, who can I start with this time? Jim, let's start with you this time. No problem. I I think uh, I, I think the you know the stigmas are 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 are, are always interesting and uh, um, I think you know you have to you have to be confident in yourself and you have to be confident with the fact that that you do have vision loss and you have to be confident that 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 you know uh, by letting other people know that you have a vision issue. Um, um, and your own safety is, is, is going to be, uh, uh, at stake as, as well. Um, it, there's still that mindset in, in a blind, in a, a blind person or a person with living with vision loss, you know, there's, there's still stigmas that, that they don't want to, um, to let that let that out of the bag, for example, it, it's not cool. It's not uh, it 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 doesn't you know look good in front of your friends. But uh, but trust me, the the stigma really is that you're only cheating yourself. And uh, um, you know don't try and uh, don't try and and make yourself look good um, um, when you know there could be a serious accident. You could be hurting yourself, or you could be hurting someone else. So that's basically, you know, all I'm going to say. I'm, uh, I know I sound like I'm preaching from the gospel, but I'm, I'm far from that. And uh, 
But I'm saying, you know, you have to accept it yourself. And uh, once you accept it yourself, then, uh, you know, things are easy after that. But that's the hardest part is accepting it yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree with that because other, other, you can't really control other people like those opinions and those like things that other people say are always going to kind of be the same even if they change a little over time that's that's more outer I think that the hardest one is the the inside one first um well stigmas as I kind of alluded to it a bit earlier when people say that you don't look blind in that kind of business well that uh, can lead to other things that especially for younger people somebody who is in the their early years and going through school and, and uh, trying to, you know, be in with the in crowd. Uh, they don't want to let others know that they're, especially if they move to a new school or something like that. It's difficult for them to let the rest of the classmates know that they have sight loss. And therefore with that, they kind of end up falling backwards a bit but there's no reason to do that. It's, it is cool to have sight loss as well. You can make it cool because many people that you're friends with have no idea what your life is like and what you have to deal with. So the best thing to do is to try and, and <clears throat> friends that, uh, you know, say that you're, you're not uh, blind, that this is what I have to go through and this is what I do. The same as having any other kind of a, a disability. You know, somebody is in a wheelchair. Well, you see the wheelchair first. But you as a person who's carrying a white cane, now they know that you're blind and they have low vision. And you can do just the same as what you've always done before. But you can do it better when you carry your cane with you and show people what you're like. So it's just uh, trying to get over those little things. And many years ago, uh, a blind person was seen on street corners uh, selling pencils. That's what life was about. And quite often that is not a, a good feeling to have, but you got to show them that you're well above that and you can do everything except fly an airplane, basically, and drive a car. <laughs> Many things. You can be a heavy yeah. duty mechanic if you want. So it's just to, to educate the people to get beyond those stigmas. I think I'll leave it there. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. Um, Chanel, let's go to you next. So any, and I know you kind of touched on this already, but any stigmas um, that maybe get to you a little more, what what are some that you think make using a cane a little more challenging? Um, Well, overall, there's the societal stigma and then there's the internal stigma. So it's just a matter of um, the individual like myself to, you know, make that decision and realize that, you know, this is a part of my identity and, you know, life is better being independent and doing things on my own um, independently. So um, yeah, that's all I got to really say about stigma. And in terms of that, obviously stigmas are there to limit people and prevent them from having full participation in society. But um I think we have a duty and an obligation to try and shift these stigmas and prove people wrong. That's awesome. That actually um, leads us into our next question, but I do want to just check in with Sarah. Sarah, is there anything uh, you want to mention for this, for this one? Sure. Yeah. I just want to say like, for like anyone that's young um, listening or that is in school, like it's, I 
I will say I can totally understand when you don't want to be that one person walking with the white cane because you're being stigmatized in so many different ways. I will speak from experience because I was severely bullied. And every time I was even even using the white cane, it's like she's walking with that stick. So and and then, you know, that really irks me when when people identify the white cane or the mobility cane as a stick you know the walking stick and I'm like it's not a walking stick this is a tool that helps me get around um safer and I think you know um as a young person growing up in an integrated school it was very hard to just you know what when it came to my self-identity um coming to terms with my disability and just wanting to fit in and not walk around it because as soon as you use it people don't want to come near you people don't want to talk to you like you're just you know this there's silent stigma and then there's like a verbal uh stigma as well i i look at in in society and you know what you internalize as well but I think, you know, even if you're not able to have that courage to use your cane and, and not care what whoever thinks, I think just being able to just talk about vision loss and the white cane. And if, if you can break some of the stigmas that way, I think it's also um, very important. And I've come to a point now, it's like, you know, if I need to use my white point, I'm going to I'm going to use it whether people will be like, oh, you're with us. You don't need to use your white cane. And I think a lot of times we feel that a bit of insecurity or stigma. It's like, I need to use it, but I don't know, if, you know, I don't want to use sighted guy, but I'm with a bunch of people. So I'm going to be the only person using a white cane. But again, it's about, I think, um, having self-confidence. And once I think you have accepted your disability and you use that cane, that white cane or that mobility cane is your key to independence. So if you want to do all the things that you have in mind for your dreams, then you just need to, nothing is going to stop you at that point. And you just have to um, embrace it when stigmas do come and take that opportunity to educate and bring awareness to all those stigmas. That's awesome. I really love that. Um, I know one thing I struggled with was I, when I started using a cane uh, was when I entered grade nine in high school. And, you know, once I got, I had had my o I, I had a really great time in grade nine and I was feeling confident um, going into grade 10. And I thought, you know what, I'm not going to use my cane anymore. Um, and it, it really was hard for me because I knew that a lot of people in high school, you know, so many people see you and, and a lot of people don't necessarily know who you are, but you kind of know people's faces in high school, um, or at least, you know, other people do. I don't necessarily, but, um, and in grade 10, like there was a rumor that I had been cured and I found that out halfway through the year. And I, I, at that point, like, I was like, whatever, like I I went into the year knowing that that was probably going to be something that people said. So I think if you fall on the low vision spectrum, that's also an important thing to know is yeah. Like using it when you know that it helps you and also not using it and, and knowing that there's stigma that comes with that as well. It's, it's very complicated um, for sure. So this is our last question uh, that I'm going to bring up right now. Um, In the face of ignorant comments, do you feel it is the responsibility of the individual with blindness or low vision to educate the public or to educate that person? So 
and I know I kind of struggle with this. I go back and forth on this one myself, but when someone makes a weird comment that either feeds a stigma or is maybe just rude, sometimes people are just rude and they're not thinking. Um, do you feel like it's your job to educate that person? Does some of that responsibility fall on you? Should those people educate themselves? There's the internet. We have a lot of really great resources now where people can find things themselves. Um, should we point them in that direction? Um, let me start with Chanel. Why don't we start with you on this one? If you're, uh, if you're comfortable. <laughs> yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm a big believer in advocacy. Now I think that advocacy can take on many different forms. Like if you happen to be walking down the street and someone stops you, is it your obligation to tell every person you stop past on the street and tell them, hey, this is a cane and this is what it does? Um, maybe not, right? But I do think we as low vision and blind individuals should and in fact must use our voices to let people know how and what we are able to do. In the past, historically, we were dictated on how, you know, this is how blind people should do. This is where we need to be institutionalized and all this stuff. And we made it so that organizations and government governments were instru instruct <laughs> the main people to make these instrumental um, and fundamental decisions on behalf of blind people. And I think that we, as the blind community, do in fact need to use our voices. Um, the society is not going to know what to look for. There's so much information out there. There's so many different opinions out there, but I think the blind community has a responsibility to let these policymakers know, these organizations, the various agencies know what is it, what it is we need to make the changes that we want to see. I don't think that um, choosing to, you know, leave the, the, the individual to find out what it is, um, you know, because people will pick and choose what information it is that we want to take in and what information they think is necessary. So I think obviously it's obviously you need to know what battle, you know, what battles you want to die on or what battles you want to fight um, type of thing. Um, but, you know, obviously you're not going to go to every coffee store and say, okay, every person in the store, I'm going to hand out brochures and pamphlets, you know, too. But I think we do need to um, take some onus and we do need to take some initiative and educate people because we are, you know, unfortunately one of the smaller demographics of people you know there's not not everybody really understands blindness they don't understand that there's spectrums of blindness they don't understand that um different blind people require different things and um i think that if you feel um there's something that you need you should be the one to let people know hey i am able to do this i am capable to do this because we've seen what has been in the past and how other people have been the voice for us and that hasn't been positive. So I think we should have the opportunity to use our voices and seek the change that we want and um, embrace our differences. Thank you. That was awesome. There was so much passion in that answer. I love it. Sure was. Um, let's go with uh, Jim. Why don't we go to you next? Well, I don't know how to top that one, but uh, <laughs> inspired. Um, so anyway, I, I think yeah, um, uh, there's there's many different things that uh, that you know you have to consider here, and uh, I think one of the one of the main things is um, you know we we uh, um, you know who who have been around the organization for many years now. Um, 
we have learned sometimes very difficultly that, you know, if we don't advocate for ourselves, nobody's going to do it. And, right. uh, and when we're at meetings or we're representing the, uh, the CCB at, at meetings or um, at any function, um, and especially with companies that, uh, that you know, are, uh, are making drugs or, uh, um, you know, doing, uh, doing work with the vision loss, you know, we say we have to be at the table. We have to be part of the decision-making process because we live it. And um, that's right. You know, we've been pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing for that for years. That you know, we don't need our we don't need our sighted friends to make our decisions for that's us. Right. Uh, we appreciate their help, but we don't need them to make our decisions <laughs> for us. That's right. So that's, that's so true. That's uh, you know, I'm not going to harp on, but basically, that's the way I believe it. Uh, yeah. That's right. I agree. The old saying that, you know, we have to be there on our behalf. I agree. That's actually so great. Um, I heard this quote a little while ago that was talking about, um, I'm probably going to butcher it if I try and recreate it, but it was about, you know, not just having a seat at the table, but being able to like get to the table and design it, like being involved from the beginning is so important. Um, let's go to Louise. Yes, I think it's uh, very important for us to say to somebody who wants to or doesn't realize that we're blind and says things that are kind of to the contrary, that we stop and educate them and, and let them know that, you know, yes, I do carry a white cane and I actually do have sight loss because. I can't see everything. I see some things around me and I can travel independently without a cane often, but it's important that you realize that uh, there's different levels of, of sight loss. I'm not totally blind and, you know, just go on like that and, and give them that information and say, I'd be happy to sit down with you and explain what blindness is and the levels of blindness if you're really interested. But, you know, there's there's no need of uh, uh, saying to me that I'm not blind when you have no idea what my sight is like. Because the same as me saying to you that, uh, you know, something about your living arrangements, that it's not true. But it is because it's your life, not mine. So you, don't, you don't know where we are. And advocating is the, the top of the line for everything with uh, not only sight loss, I have more than one disability. And, you know, I, that's one of my main topics to, to move forward and ensure that we who have any kind of a disability move forward to the top of the line to advocate and get the things that help us move in society and to get what we need. Just like the vaccines, for instance, we at CCB have, moved or sent a letter off to the prime minister asking to, to get uh, moved up on the list just because we're 18 or 35 or 50. Should we have to wait until that age category comes? Because we have trouble understanding where our um, determining distance or social distancing is not easy. So that's, we need to advocate to show that. And just because we're blind, we do have that right to, to go forward. So it's important to 
teach as we move forward. I think I'll leave it there because the other people ahead of me did a, a great job of explaining this. Okay, and you, Sarah, your turn. Sure, I think it's really important um, to educate and bring awareness as much as, you know, sometimes um, we don't want to explain or justify ourselves to um, people. And, you know, we just have to take that deep breath and, and um, or especially I take it as a learning opportunity because a lot of times, yes, like you said, you know, there's internet out there, there's social media out there. There's so much um, like education and, and things going on, but people don't, and they have access, but they don't want to reach mm -hmm. out and, and learn and educate themselves. And, you know, like, it's just ignorance is a bliss. So mm -hmm. for them, not knowing is just a lot easier because they're just, they can just avoid it altogether, right? Um, in one of my talks I, I did, you know, just explaining the difference between blind and partially sighted and um, listening to um, the participants, what their perception and what their understanding of what blind and partially sighted meant was just such an eye opener to me. And so from that point on, I took in an opportunity that when I am explaining um, or educating um, about vision loss, or when it even comes to my vision loss or explaining about the cane, I think of it, I'm representing the blind community. So uh, there are been times where like, you know, you're on the street and people want to help you or, or, or um, you know, trying to make you cross the street or things like that. And, and, you know, sometimes we get upset or frustrated or we lash out or we bark, but, you know, kind of really holding ourselves back and taking that a minute to 30 seconds to educating that individual or peoples and 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 letting and educating them not only for yourself but for the rest of the blind community right. because right. when they come across another blind person and if you have barked or lashed out at them they're not going to want to go and help that other That's blind right. person so you have to be setting right. that representation for the rest of the low vision and blind community mm -hmm. I agree with that. That's yeah. so true. And not, you know, I know everyone has their bad days where maybe they they do like lash out a little bit. I'm sure we've all been there. I know I have. Um, but you're right. It affects other people and the rest of the community. So it's really important. Mm -hmm. um, so that's all of our questions for today. Um, I'd love to invite everybody. Uh, if anyone has any questions, um, or any discussion points, please put them in the chat. Uh, I will read them out. You can direct them to a panelist individually. Uh, you can di direct them to all the panelists, uh, whatever you guys like. Um, if there's anything that anyone has in mind, I'll give you guys a minute to maybe write some stuff out. I think one of the most important things, uh, you know, in hindsight is um, uh, for people with vision loss is, you know, you, you have to learn sometimes to laugh at yourself. Uh, mm -hmm. because yeah. of some of the stupid things that you do <laughs> and once you that's another hurdle uh that you have to get over um you know i like to uh, uh for example um you know i, I don't know how many times I've, I've been walking up the street and looking for a pole and jesus was there yesterday but i can't find it today 
And you're going, wait a minute, I haven't walked far enough yet, you know. <laughs> so yeah, uh, so well, you gotta you gotta have a great sense of humor and uh and, and help build build your confidence all the way through. And uh yeah. but I think that's very, very important. Mm-hmm. You know, for everyone is you know, you gotta have that sense of humor and laugh at yourself once in a while because you really do some stupid things when you think about it. Oh, I've apologized to mannequins in stores. So oh, times. I have too. Yeah, <laughs> horrendous. I've asked um, for directions. <laughs> I do have, I do have a question um, for Chanel. Oh, and I think there's also one for the panel. Okay, yeah. So um, I'll do the one to Chanel first, and then I have one for everyone on the panel. Um, Chanel, how have you been able to manage school, work, and pageants? I guess just kind of <laughs> look at, at that it's, one. It's been a lot, but honestly, it's been beautiful doing them because I can't, I can't imagine not doing all these things, especially being stuck at home. Um, you just really schedule your time, make time for them. You know, um, I work part time and I'm in school part time and then pageantry is pretty much my entire life now. Um, but everything is part time and I've really just been enjoying the whole process. They've been shaping um who I am like all of them in different ways and I've just really been enjoying that process so yeah you make time and there's not much things that I can do it's not like you can go for walks anymore right so yeah (laughs) good old walks um awesome thank you and so this one is for all the panelists um or if anyone wants to tackle this one specifically this was like a, a good generic question what is the best way to guide a blind or partially sighted person Anyone want to tackle that one? Louise will take it. Go for it, Louise. Well, uh, the best thing to do if you find somebody who is having difficulty, then you go over to them and and, uh, tell them your name and ask, how can I help you? But then you, uh, if they want to walk down the street, wherever it is, ask them to take your arm or put their hand on your shoulder, whichever is most comfortable for that person. And then you, as you're walking down the, the, the street, you explain what's going on, or if you're in a, in a school or something to that effect, or building finish, or walking down the corridor, you uh, tell them that you're going past doors, that the door is opening in on the left, and it's on your side, so they can reach behind and, and hold the door so that you get through it safely. And as you're coming up to a chair, uh, so they can sit at a, a table or you know whatever type of chair it is describe the chair to them put their hand on the back of the chair and then just tell them to go to the left or the right of that and they know how to, to be able to sit um, just ask again if there's anything else they can do just giving them the opportunity to tell you what they need but not just dragging them and for an example on that, I was going through the airport and the airport person was assisting me to get from my um, ticket place to, uh, to the gate. And as we're walking, I was, I guess, not walking quite fast enough or there was an obstruction coming up. So rather than telling me that there was something coming up on the, in front of me, they grabbed the end of my cane and pulled me over. That is not the right way to do it. So do not touch the cane. <laughs> that is your, the person who is uh, using it. That's their tool. 
for finding things and any obstructions that may be in the way. But just, you know, explain the whole process of getting from point A to point B and just don't leave them without ensuring that you're going, leaving and going away. And if there's anything else they need or what they, the surroundings are like at that, at the place where you left them. I think that's one of the best things to do. Thank you everyone so much for coming. I know it's uh, getting late and I'm sure you all kind of want to have some downtime from all of the screens because I know we're all spending lots of time on Zoom these days. Um, so yeah, thank you everyone so much for coming.